Well, good morning. And you know that if they would have continued this video, you know what would have happened when they got to church, right? Like they would have come in through the welcome center or whatever of their church, and there would have been a greeter there that says, how you doing this morning? And you know what they would have said? Fine, okay, great, good, right? The way some of you are laughing, I can tell that um, you could identify with some things in the uh, the video. I was talking to my wife earlier in the week, and I was telling her what I was going to do, and Tell, told her about this video, and she confessed to me. She said, you have no idea how much I hated getting the kids ready for church when they were younger. She said, you'd go off to church early because you had to be there early, and then I'd have five kids to get ready for church. And she said, and the boys were just exasperating, you know, like, like my son Austin, it'd be like he didn't have anything clean to wear. He'd be in the dirty clothes, smelling shirts, you know, put something on. And she said it was just horrible. And I think some of you can probably identify with some of those things. So here's the question. How you doing? I mean, you walk in here today, somebody's probably asked you that question. And most likely you've said, fine, good. Maybe if you're a little bit more honest, you said, okay. And it doesn't matter, like, what kind of conflict you had in your marriage this week. Maybe things that happened with the kids. Maybe work was terrible. There's just kind of this pressure in there sometimes at church and Christianity in general where you just, like, kind of pretend that everything's okay. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm great. Some of you, you know, you kind of get real spiritual with it, you know. Well, I'm blessed. You know, I'm doubly blessed. If I was blessed anymore, there'd have to be two of me. I've heard that before. I'm so blessed, I'm going to have to sit on my hands during the service today to keep from clapping the whole time. And there's just this kind of expectation in church that, you know, everything needs to be good. You know, we just need to, you know, everybody needs to look at us and just tell that, that we're just overflowing with Jesus' love. And I think that's just the pressure that we face sometimes. So here's what we're going to do in this next series that we're called, How You Doing? We are going to talk about emotions, and we're going to talk about feelings. And we're going to go to the scriptures and and look at those, different feelings and different emotions. Now, I know as I say that, some of you are thinking, I don't know how I feel, but I know how I feel about you talking about that. Some of you guys especially are like, what, Dennis? You have betrayed us. You're going to talk about emotions for six weeks? But you know, I think sometimes when we don't want to talk about our feelings and our emotions, it's when we really need it the most. I think sometimes, you know, you, you have those things that pop up and you don't understand what they are. Like, like why am I angry a lot? Why, why is that? Or why am I apathetic? Or why am I indifferent? Where does that come from? I think sometimes that comes from emotions and feelings that we've never turned over to Jesus. And so in this series, we're going we're gonna to talk about emotions and we're going to talk about feelings, but we're going to talk about them in the sense of being honest to God about those. And in the sense of there's certain things that we need to turn over to God. And emotions are something that God has given us to further our discipleship process, to move us closer to Him. 
And I know there's this pressure. I mean, you, you come to church and, and you know, the, the, the idea is kind of like, well, you know, if you're studying the Bible and reading it like you should and you pray like you're supposed to and you go to church and, and you tithe, well, then everything's supposed to be good. I mean, everybody else comes into church and they've got a smile on their face and I look at their Facebook pages and everything seems roses on that. Am I the only one we sometimes think that feels like, you know what? I just don't always feel like I'm just overflowing with God's love. I just don't feel like everything's hunky-dory all the time. Sometimes I think there's actually this idea that feelings don't fit in to the faith equation. Maybe you grew up in a home. Maybe you grew up in a church where it was kind of one of two things. You could feel the right way and you could feel the wrong way. But if you felt the wrong way, you weren't supposed to. Your, your feelings wouldn't be validated. You'd just be told, you don't need to feel that way. You, you just don't need to. I mean, you got Jesus. You're a Christian. You just don't need to feel that way. Don't feel sad. You should feel happy. Well, I feel anxious. Well, you shouldn't be feeling anxious because God is a God of peace. You shouldn't feel that way. And that was kind of like the spiritual solution. Just don't feel that way. Well, what if I don't feel like not feeling that way? What if I just like, I just can't help it? So a lot of times we just start pretending. We pretend everything's okay. We pretend everything's hunky-dory. People ask us, oh, everything's good. Everything's fine. Everything's great. I'm blessed. I'm double blessed. We say that because that's what is expected of us. And we, 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 we kind of put our feelings aside. We put other people's feelings aside because you're not supposed to feel that way. I remember when my wife Renee was going through all her terrible medical problems. And, you know, somebody would just say things to her. Well, you're not, you shouldn't feel that way. You, you just shouldn't. Jesus loves you. Don't you know that? God is with you. He'll never forsake you. You shouldn't feel that way. And there'd just be this, just nullify her feelings. Just, just nix them. You, you, just, you just shouldn't. And sometimes I think it's difficult for us to talk about our own emotions or other people's emotions. And I, I really feel this way. We shouldn't invalidate other people's feelings. We shouldn't tell them how they should feel. Now, we do live in an age where it's kind of neat that uh, even on our phones, there are all kinds of ways to express emotions. You may have seen on the bulletin cover there, we've got a lot of emojis on our, on our bulletin cover. And, you know, emojis are kind of this great way where you can express feelings, right? Like if you feel happy, you can send an emoji to somebody that looks a little bit like that, right? And if you feel sad, you can send a, an emoji, something like that, right? And maybe um, you just want to send them an emoji that kind of says you're cool and you're calm and you're relaxed. And you can send one that, that looks a little bit like that. And, or, or maybe you're a little bit anxious and perplexed. And so you send them one that looks like that one there. Or, or maybe you're kind of mad, and so you send them one that looks like this next one there. Or maybe you're really mad, and you feel like this, the next one. You know, that's you know, probably how we feel sometimes. And, and then sometimes we just feel kind of numb, right? It's not that we're happy. It's not that we're sad. It's not that we're angry. We're not bitter. We're, 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 we're just kind of numb. So in this series, we're going to kind of examine these common emotions. 
you know, anger and shame and guilt and loneliness and that kind of thing. And we're going to go over to the book of Psalms. And don't turn there because we're not going there today. I'm talking about in future weeks. I see everybody grabbing their Bible. Sorry. But in future weeks, we're going to look at David. And we're going to talk about, you know, David wrote a lot of the Psalms and he just encountered, he, he was an emotional guy. And we can look at all kinds of emotions that he experienced. But this week, first and foremost, I thought, you know who would be good to look at? Jesus. How did Jesus handle emotions? Because when I look at Jesus, he just didn't always pretend that everything was roses and lollipops. He didn't, he, he didn't do that. He was a very emotional guy. He had emotions. He understood that even for Christians, sometimes the world can be an ugly place, and we don't always have to pretend that it isn't. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to be at a very emotional time in Jesus' life. Did you know that scholars tell us that Jesus experienced at least 39 emotions? And I know some of you are sitting in here, probably guys, and you're going, I didn't even know there was 39 emotions. I raised two teenage daughters. I can promise you there's at least 39 emotions. And Jesus experienced these. And you look at the scriptures, and let, let me just give you some examples. So he meets a centurion, and Jesus is excited and delighted because this centurion has such great faith. But then Jesus is sad when he stands on the Mount of Olives and he looks over Jerusalem and he realizes people have rejected him. And Jesus is angry when he thinks about the religious leaders who are emphasizing tradition more than they're emphasizing transformation. And Jesus is full of joy when the 72 disciples come back and they tell him about all the great things that they did. And then we know over in the book of John that Jesus weeps and he grieves and he's sad because Lazarus, his friend, has passed away. And as you read through the Gospels, you find all these different feelings that Jesus experienced. And the point is this. While he was on earth, Jesus demonstrated to us that emotions and feelings are not weaknesses. They're associated with being human. We have emotions. We have feelings because we are human. And so the question is not, are emotions or feelings wrong? The question is, what do we do with them? How do we manage them? How do we deal with the way that we feel? That, those are the questions. And just so, because we're right at the beginning of this, I thought it would be good for us to define the word emotion. And it comes from a Latin word, and it means to move. And so God uses our emotions to move us toward Him, to move us to being more mature disciples. God made us with emotions. So the, then the question becomes, well, what are we going to do with them? Where are they going to take us? So like if, 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 if an emotion is a vehicle, and so you climb into that vehicle and it's the, the vehicle of anger, what are you going to do with that anger? 
Where's it going to take you? Or, or maybe it's loneliness and you get in the vehicle of loneliness. There's nothing wrong with the emotion. But where is that emotion going to take you? You get in the, the vehicle of anxiety. Nothing wrong with that. But where is it going to take you? That's the question. Which direction are you going to go? So think of it like a road sign. We've all seen this road sign, right? And you come up to that road sign and you have to go left or you have to go right. You're going to go one direction or the other. So you're getting in this vehicle and you're going to go some direction. So you're going to maybe experience shame. And you find yourself in that vehicle of shame, so to speak. Which direction are you going to go? You can go to a place of isolation, place of guilt, or you can go to a place of forgiveness and a place of freedom. Or maybe you're in the vehicle of loneliness. Which, which direction are you going to go? You can go in the direction of despair and depression, or you can go to a place of connection and dependence on God. There's all kinds of emotions we might feel. And there are opportunities for us to move closer to God. You know, I think sometimes we tend to dwell on the negative emotions. But from a biblical standpoint, we find that emotions are an occasion for God to work in our lives and make us become more mature disciples. So again, emotions aren't wrong, feelings aren't wrong, but what direction are you going to go with them? So we're in Matthew chapter 26. Here's the setting. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has had a very emotional day and evening. He's already been to the Lord's Supper. Judas walked away and he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that soon he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He understood that he was going to be crucified. And he's just overwhelmed with these feelings and these emotions. Here's what we read beginning in verse 36 of chapter 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. So he took James and John too. Along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And if you go over to the gospel of Luke, and Luke was a medical doctor, he added a little bit to this story, which is kind of interesting. Over in the book of Luke chapter 22, he puts another little detail in there. He said, being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So what he's talking about is a relatively rare medical condition known as hematrodosis. And what that is, it means the, the small capillaries in your sweat glands begin to bleed. And what they do is they bleed into your sweat and then you have this, this bloody sweat. 
And usually when that happens, and it's rare, but when that happens, usually the next thing that happens is your body goes into shock. So when Jesus says he's overwhelmed to the point of death, that kind of paints the picture a little bit when you realize the medical condition that's going on here. He's literally sweating blood. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Now, I think there are some Christians who are well-intentioned, but they would tell Jesus how he should feel. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus, don't feel that way. You need to feel this way. Smile, Jesus. God loves you. Come on, Jesus. Don't you know that? Jesus, haven't you read Romans chapter 8? All things work together for them that, that love him and are called according to his purposes. Come on, Jesus, don't you, you just need to have a little bit of faith. Don't feel that way, feel this way. Are you going to tell Jesus that? I'm not. But I think that's what we do other people. We put pressure on people to feel a certain way. Don't feel that way, you need to feel this way. And I hope as we, we go through this passage this morning, we look at this very emotional time in Jesus' life, that some of you will realize that you don't have to have that pressure to, to, to make it look like everything's perfect in your life all the time, that that's not what Christianity is all about. And Jesus just models this being real for us. And I realize as I talk this morning, I'm kind of talking to different groups of people as far as how they deal with emotions. You know, one of the things that I love about Burning Bush is this. We are an intergenerational church multi-generational church. I absolutely love that. I love pastoring an intergenerational church. I mean, we've got some babies that are like three weeks old, just been born, a couple of them. And then we've got folks that are in their 90s and we have everything in between. And I love pastoring a church like that. And I think that's very a very healthy church when you have all of those ages and we can all learn from each other. But I also realize there's some generational things when it comes to dealing with emotions. In the first service, it's primarily builders, gen, the builder generation and the boomer generation. I'm a boomer. Some of you in here are boomers. There might be a few builders in here. But, you know, builders and boomers, those generations, they were taught to kind of suppress their emotions. I'm like, you didn't show emotions. That's the way, that was the way the culture was. You know, men don't cry. Look at John Wayne. Woo, tough. And is that, that kind of idea. You just suppressed them. Emotional avoidance was, a, was another way of saying it. And then some of you are boomers in here. A lot of you are generation Xers and some of you are millennials and totally different. I mean, you were like raised with nirvana and you wear your, your feelings on your sleeve, so to speak. And your feelings are like your GPS and however you feel, that's the way it's going to be. And, and, and you just kind of go you know, overboard, like the pendulum is swung completely in the other direction. Now, if you're the emotional avoidance kind, the boomers and, and the builders, then your approach is, you know, you just kind of suppress it and you stuff it down. And here's the thing. You can take a beach ball to the bottom of the pool, but eventually it's going to come up. And that's what happens. It's eventually going to come up. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves questions, boomers and builders who try to suppress this stuff. Like, why do I keep drinking 
when I promised myself that I wasn't? Like, why do I go to an online, why do I do an online shopping spree and then feel better about myself? Why, when I'm trying to lose weight, do I take a spoon and eat chocolate cookie dough like right out of the carton? Like, what makes me do that? Like, why do I go from one relationship to the next without any being able to make any commitment? Like, why do I, like, scream and yell and then promise myself I won't scream and I won't yell anymore, and then I scream and I yell some more? It's emotional avoidance. We just try to take those emotions and put them down. And the Bible tells us that things of the heart will eventually surface. And of course, you millennials and you Gen Xers, you're, you're, you, your culture has taught you different. You're different, you know, like I said, you kind of wear your emotions on your sleeve. Hey, if I feel it, that's the way it is. You wake up in the morning, and if you're in a good mood, hey, that's great. And you feel it, and if you're not in a good mood, well, too bad for the rest of the family, right? You just deal with it. This is the way I feel. And, and, and you just kind of wear those emotions out there. And, and, and it's just kind of the way it is. And it just kind of, your emotions just determine the temperature for, for yourself and for everybody else. Dr. Daniel Coleman, I found this, this really interesting. He's talking about this whole power of this dynamic of emotion. He says, emotions are as contagious as the flu, which is a really interesting, strong statement. And then he talked about this study that they did. And they would put three people in a room. And he said, over and over, he put them in there for two minutes. And they, they didn't talk. They had to be in the room silently. And he said, at the end of two minutes, and he said this happened every single time, the person, he couldn't talk, but the person that was most expressive, whatever their emotion was, that would be the emotion of all three of them when they left the room. So if the most expressive person in there was angry, then the other three would be angry when they left. Isn't that fascinating? If they were happy, the others would be happy. If they were anxious, the others would be anxious. Whatever the emotion was of the most expressive person in the room, that's how everybody else would be. This is a sermon for another time, but moms and dads, do you see how important we are, how we set the mood and the tone for our houses? But I, I find that interesting. And as we study Scripture, what we're going to see is that our emotions are a gauge. That they are meant to get our attention and they're meant to take us in a direction that makes us more like Jesus. But you have to pay attention to the gauge. Anybody in here ever had your check engine light come on? Anybody? How many of your check engine lights is on like right now? And it's been on for like a year and you're just ignoring it. <laughs> Don't raise your hand now because I'm fixing to make fun of you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so let's say your check engine light comes on, right? And so like, like maybe you're one of those people that's not very mechanically inclined. And so your check engine light comes on and you're like, well, there's no point in putting up the hood because, you know, I don't know an air filter from, a, from an oil filter. So there's no point in doing that. And I don't have enough money to take it to the mechanic. So I'm just going to ignore it. And so you just keep driving. And then your friends get in the car and they're like, hey, did you know your check engine light's on? You're like, yeah, I know it's on. You know, don't, don't bother me about it. And you just keep driving. You're just going to see where, what's, what's going to happen. 
And then maybe it starts flashing at you. Check engine, check engine. I mean, it's getting serious, right? And your friends are getting in the car. And they're annoying you like, hey, did you know your check engine light's flashing? Yeah, I know, I know. And finally, you're tired of that light flashing at you. And you are tired of, of your annoying friends that keep asking you about your check engine light. And so you decide, this is your strategy, that you're going to get a black Sharpie or a roll of electrical tape. And then you, where that check engine light is, you just take your little Sharpie and you just black it over. Or you put a piece of black electrical tape on it. Can't see it anymore, right? But it's on. But you, you can't see it, right? And you just keep driving. You kind of forget about it. A couple months go by. You're, you're just fine. You, just, you don't see it anymore. And then one day you're at the gas station. And get gas in your car. Get back in the car. Start the engine, put the selector in drive, hit the gas pedal, vroom, car doesn't move. You think, well, maybe I, maybe I put it in neutral. Jiggle the selector, now it's in drive, you hit the gas pedal again, vroom, car doesn't move. Turns out, some of you are smiling, you've already done this, I can tell. Turns out, your transmission is gone. And it turns out that the manufacturer, the reason that engine light came on, because there was a little defect, that if you'd have taken care of it, it wouldn't have cost that much. But now it's going to cost a lot of money because the entire transmission is gone. I think for a lot of us, our emotions are trying to get our attention. And we keep looking away and we keep ignoring them and we keep avoiding it. And our friends are like, hey, you need to pick up, you need to open the hood up and look. That anger you got, it's like way out of control. And people are talking to us about it, but we just keep ignoring it and we keep driving. And then eventually the whole thing blows up in our face. And the question again is, how do we deal with our feelings? Jesus models this. First thing I want you to notice, verse 38. He tells his friends how he is feeling and he asks for their support. Verse 38. Then he said to them, so he's talking to his friends, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Notice that Jesus is vulnerable with three of his closest friends. Now, he's not telling everybody, but he's talking to Peter, James, and John, three of his closest friends. The purpose of this series is not like, okay, when you come into the Welcome Center and somebody asks you how you were doing, like you just tell them all the terrible things that have happened in your life, you know, you just throw up on them. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is having... Jesus in your life so you can turn things over to him and then having some close friends that you can talk to, that you can pray with, that have permission to speak into your life. Men or women that will help hold you accountable, that will recognize things and you listen to them. Jesus asked for his friends here to stay with him. This is not a weakness. It takes strength, and it takes courage, and it takes humility to ask for support. 
And that's exactly what he does. Peter, James, John, I'm overwhelmed. Would you stay with me? Would you pray with me? But you know what our tendency is? We get in that vehicle of of anger or loneliness or whatever it is. And we just want to go by ourselves. We want to drive by ourselves. We don't want any help. We think it's a weakness or whatever. Jesus says, I need you. The second thing you notice here is he prioritizes his faith over his feelings. Or another way of saying this is he aligns his feelings. He aligns his feelings with what God wants for his life. He knows what's true. And it's not always easy to acknowledge what is true over what we feel. But here's what we read in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So here's what's going on. Jesus is overwhelmed with, to the point of death. He falls on his face. He knows what's coming. And he doesn't want to go with, through with it. He doesn't want to be arrested. He doesn't want to be beaten. Who would? He doesn't want people nailing stakes through his wrist. He doesn't want people nailing stuff through his feet. He doesn't want to be beaten ha- literally three quarters of the way to death. Have that thing of thorns pressed down over his head. He doesn't want any of that. And he knows it's coming. And he tells his father, can you take this from me? Can you take this cup is the word he uses. But that's what he's talking about. Can you take it from me? I don't want to do this. But then he takes that feeling, which is not wrong, and he aligns it with what God's purposes are for his life. And he acknowledges, God, I don't want to do this, but I know it's, it's your will. Now, for those of you who are more in that emotional indulgence category, this is really significant because you've just been taught to, to, to live your feelings and how you feel, that's what's right. Well, how you feel is not necessarily always right. And it's not necessarily always true. That's what we learn here. You have to align your feelings with God. Jesus sets this example for us. He doesn't want to do it, but he processes it with God, and he concludes, God, whatever you want. You may feel like losing your temper and punching a hole in the wall. You may feel like staying in bed all day and feeling sorry for yourself. You may feel like avoiding social situations that create anxiety You may feel lonely in your marriage and want to start an affair. You may feel like getting a divorce and just starting all over. You may feel like running up credit card debt. You may feel like that and that's okay. But again, where's the feeling going to take you? Where's that feeling going to take you? And I understand that that feelings are real. But just because they're real doesn't mean it's true. For instance, you may feel lonely and like nobody, you've been abandoned. And we know even though you feel that way and it's okay, we do know that Jesus promises if you're a Christian, 
that he's always with you. And I understand sometimes when you're really lonely, that, that, that's hard to grasp. I understand that. But nonetheless, your feeling is not necessarily true. It's just how you feel. And it's important to align our feelings with what Scripture says and what we know is true. And if we follow the Scriptures and we're honest with God, then you align your feelings with God. And so here we see Jesus. He's just overwhelmed. But what happens when the soldiers come in? Jesus stands up. He's resolute. He's ready to go face Calvary. He aligns his feelings with God. And then the third thing is this as we finish up. He's just honest with God. He pours out his feelings to his heavenly father. Verse 39 says, Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father. The parallel account in the book of Mark, instead of using the word father, it uses the word Abba, which means dad or daddy. It's a very intimate term, different than just just father. And so Jesus models this prayer for us as we, we process our feelings and, and we pray about it and we align them with God. Jesus cries out, Father, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. What would that look like for you? Father, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I'm so sad. I don't even know why I'm sad, Father. I'm so disappointed in my marriage. Father, I'm so stressed out. Father, I'm so angry with my child. Father, I'm so bitter toward my parents. I'm so anxious about my future. I'm so lonely, I think I would just rather die. I'm so hurt by what my ex did. When's the last time you talked to God that way? And just poured out your heart. Released those emotions to Him. So the challenge of this series is to understand that your emotions are a vehicle. They are a vehicle to move you closer to God, to help you be a more mature disciple. And some of you, let's just be honest, you need to get out of the driver's seat and you need to walk around and you need to get in the passenger seat and you need to put Jesus in the driver's seat. And then you need to grab a couple friends and put them in the back seat because that's what Jesus has set up. And when we do that, then we're with him and we're also with one another. And Jesus is like, where are we going? I feel angry, we say. Where are we going? And you invite God to meet you in that emotion. And you invite God to meet you in that feeling. Your emotions are an opportunity for you to grow and for God to move you to a different place. So it's not being weak. It takes courage. It takes strength. It takes humility. So the question is not, are feelings wrong or right? It's where are they going to take you? And who is in the vehicle with you? And then we can be honest with ourselves. We can be honest with God. We can do away with that pressure. We feel like everything has to be roses all the time. And we can understand that this is a place here where we can invite God in 
and ask him to move us where he wants us to go. Would you pray with me, please?